0: We'll go ahead and grab seats and then uh, we'll get going here in just a second. Um, I'll just go ahead and tell y'all, the goal is for us to start at 6.30. Um, and for us to be done at 730. Um, That is my commitment to y'all. And if that means I got to blaze through some of this stuff, then that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna cover it uh, as best as I can. Um, But at the same time, I'm wanting to make sure I honor y'all's time. Uh, We've got families that have youth that are gonna be doing different things. And so we wanna make sure that we're getting done when we are supposed to in here. So if you don't know who I am, uh, my name is Lee Wood I'm Pastor Lee Wood here at Emmanuel Baptist Church. I'm the discipleship pastor. And so that's where you'll see a lot of this stuff come into play. It's going to make sense here in a bit. Um, I've been here about five months. And so this is uh, the big thing that um, personally I've been really looking forward to Uh, We have been praying about launching all of our stuff on Wednesday night for about the last uh, 12 weeks or so, um, building up to the launch of all of our stuff on Wednesday nights. And so I am thankful that we are finally here. So um, as everyone's kind of filtering in, I want to pray for us and then I'll hand some stuff out and then we're going to dive into our material. Yeah. So let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the fact that we get to gather together in a a comfortable place where we can be able to learn about your word and be able to learn more about who you are. And Father, I pray that as we are opening your word and as we are looking at scripture, um, that you would send your spirit to enlighten our hearts and our minds so that we might be able to rightly understand what it is that you have written for our instruction and for our benefit. And God, I pray that the things that I say would be beneficial, that they would be clear, that they would be something that we'd be able to take um, with us not just uh, store away in our head today, but we would be able to use years from now. And so Father, I need your help in order for that to happen. And so we pray that that will happen through the power of your spirit. Uh, I pray that I would only say the things in which would be beneficial and what you would have me to say. And so Father, we give you this time and we pray this in your son's name. Amen, amen. Charlie, come help me out, bro. And then Chad, you wanna hand these others out? All right, so I'm gonna give you all this. We're not always gonna have handouts every week. Um, give me one of those just in case I need to run copies. Um, we're not going to have handouts every week, but here's my commitment to you. If we have handouts, I will make sure that everything that I give to you is going to be made available online. We are recording everything. So if you miss one of these weeks, no big deal. We will have the audio recorded. We will be able to actually, uh, um, give you all the resources that we give you tonight. It'll be there digitally. Um, so if you miss something, no big deal. We got you covered. So, Um, what is it that we are doing here? So hopefully you kind of knew what you were getting into when you came in here on Wednesday night, but if you didn't, let me give you a rundown. Um, what we are doing is not prayer meeting. What we are doing is not a Bible study in the way that you think it is. Okay. We will be doing that. You can just, here, hold on to those. If we need some more, we got a couple more here, Chad. Um, we will not be doing just the typical Bible study This semester in here, we absolutely are going to look at scripture. We absolutely are going to look at how to interpret rightly and all that good jazz. But this is not just a basic Bible study like you have encountered before. So what is it that we are actually doing? Well, Wednesday nights, what we have launched tonight is what we are calling the Equipping Institute. And our Equipping Institute, you're going to see here in a little bit, um, that we have several topics that we actually are wanting to cover over the next several years whether you realize it or not, you just walked in on the first night of what is in fact, a several year process. Um, I am gonna be one of our primary teachers for the stuff that we're gonna be covering, especially this semester. But moving forward, my goal is for us to have at least two classes each semester that are gonna be covering two different topics at least. That way we can cover more of the stuff that we feel like we need to cover. So our equipping institute, that name is intentional. Um, I want to give you a little bit of information about why we do what we do here at Emmanuel. Before we even look at what we're doing tonight, you need to see how this fits into a larger, larger movement of what we're trying to accomplish here at Emmanuel. Our mission is to invite others to bend their knee to King Jesus and to help them follow Jesus, help those people follow Jesus for the rest of their lives. Now, that being said, that's a great little tagline but we actually mean it. And so we structure everything that we do to help meet that goal, that vision, that mission that we have. So I want to give you what our four core values are here at Emanuel, whether you've ever heard this said from the stage or not, you're hearing it now, we're going to try to make it more of a uh, emphasis moving forward so that this is something that we can identify right away is this is why Emanuel does what we do, right? Our first core uh, value here at Emmanuel Baptist Church is that we want to see deliberate discipleship take place. Deliberate discipleship. If our mission is in fact to invite others to bend their knee to King Jesus and to help them follow him for the rest of their lives, that doesn't just happen because you do a Sunday morning service. It doesn't, okay? There is more involved with discipleship than just coming on Sunday morning. All right. Um, one of the things that I teach my college students—a uh, phrase that I've used for a long time—is that when it comes to the Great Commission, there is either adherence to or disobedience of. There is no third option. When it comes to the Great Commission, there is either adherence to or disobedience of. There is no third option. The Great Commission is to go and make disciples of all nations, right? Teaching them to obey everything that Jesus commanded, baptizing them, right? If that is our mission, you are either doing it or you're not. So that seems like a pretty steep statement, but let me just add a corollary to that. When it comes to the Great Commission, there's either adherence to or disobedience of, and it is impossible to make disciples if you're not being one yourself. It's impossible to make disciples if you're not being one yourself. So if our mission and our vision is to have deliberate discipleship, then we better do some things that are gonna get people to that point where they can live out the Great Commission. Are you tracking with me on that? So that's partly what we wanna do here. Our second core value is that we wanna be biblically devoted. Whenever there is Anthony, myself, or whoever else is up here on Sunday morning and we are preaching, you are not getting our opinions. You know that, right? You're not getting our opinions. You might get some commentary, you might get some, um, some extra things to help us understand what is going on from the Bible. But we are devoted to the Bible and teaching that the highest authority we have is scripture, not the Southern Baptist convention, not the Baptist faith and message Jesus and his word, right? That is our value. So let's teach it. you'll see that here in just a bit. Our third core value is that we have a love for the local church. We have a love for the local church. And what I mean by that is not just Emmanuel Baptist Church. Whenever we have college students who graduate, and if they stick around in our church, praise God, then they are going to be here, they're going to be plugged in. We want that to happen. But we also recognize that there are going to be college students, and when they graduate, they're going to go to whatever church that the Lord's leading them to. We want them to show up on day one being the best church member that church has. We love the local church enough to teach people what it means to be a good church member. Are you tracking with that? And part of that comes through teaching people and equipping them for these things. Here's our last core value. Our last core value is that we are committed to equipping the next generation. And when I say next generation, what pops into your mind is probably youth and college students. And you're not wrong there. You you should think about youth and college students. However, Rich, do you happen to know this? What is our average age of our deacons here at Emmanuel Baptist Church? If you had to take a guess, Rich. Uh, I, I don't know, but I guess. It's 67. 67. I was going to use 65. Man, you really went over on that one. I don't know the exact number either, but I think that that's a safe number. Bobby, would you agree? I was going to say 67. <laughs> well, then I'm wrong. That's not 65, it's 67. Our our former chairman of our deacons and our current chairman of our deacons said 67. So we're going with that. Here's the point. When you think of next generation, yes, high school and college students. Who's our next deacon? If our average age of our deacons is 67, there's a generational gap. We're not just going to throw a bunch of college students in there into the deaconate board, are we? So there's a gap that we need to catch up in that next generation of leadership. Who are our next generation of pastors? We need to be calling them out. There are guys and there are girls that God has equipped and called into ministry, and then we have a responsibility as a church to get them ready for whatever it is the Lord is asking them to do. Are you tracking with that? So if all of those things are true, if we do in fact have this commitment to deliberate discipleship, that we are devoted to the Bible, we have a love for the local church, and we in fact have a commitment to equip the next generation, then that's exactly what this is. This is part of that. We want to give you something that is gonna be beneficial as we move forward. Y'all tracking with that? All right, so here's the deal. What are we going to cover in Equipping Institute? I told you, you walked in on night one of a multi-year process. What are we gonna cover? Here you go. This is actually just the list of topics at a minimum right now. I've already got the next four years mapped out of what I want us to cover in sequence. Let me just run through this. Number one, first thing you see up there in red is hermeneutics. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. I'll give you a definition here in a bit. Don't worry about that. That is what this whole semester is about. What we then want to do is spend some deliberate time talking through different genres of literature in the Bible. What do I mean by genre? We can talk about that much more in, uh, uh, week three, four, and five of this semester. But what I mean by that is if you open a newspaper and you read the wanted section, like the help wanted ads, and then you go read the sports section, and then you go read comics, those are all completely different genres of literature. They are written differently, they have different punctuation, they have different purposes altogether, right? Would you read? the funny papers the same way you go read the news on the front page, would you? No. So we're gonna spend some time talking about law and history. We're talking about the Pentateuch. We're talking about Joshua. We're talking about 1st and 2nd Kings. We're we're gonna cover some of that. We're gonna talk about uh, our prophets, so major prophets and minor prophets. We're gonna talk about poetry, an Old Testament survey, a New Testament survey, how to read epistles. How do you read John? In 1 John, do you read it the same way as you read the Gospel of John? Are you tracking with me? We're going to cover that over the next couple of years. Then we have some history stuff. How many of you in this room right now have actually sat through at a church something that looks like church history? Somebody gave you a primer on church history. R.O. Praise God. How many of you know who Eusebius is? There's a handful of folks who are involved either in ministry or in education. The Cappadocian Fathers. You ever heard of those cats? Those cats? Augustine? Ah, so there we go. We've got a couple more hands. But here's the point. If we have a goal of loving the local church and we want people to be deliberately discipled, like having some history in your pocket is worthwhile. How many entities are there in the Southern Baptist Convention? We can name a few, but why are we Baptist? That would be a great question for us to ask at a Baptist church, don't you think? So we're going to talk about some church history. We're going to have SBC uh, history and education about how we're organized. Then we got some theology. We're going to do some uh, systematic theology. I'm talking about doctrines. When we talk about salvation, soteriology, what does that mean? What is propitiation? How does it work? And if you've been here on Sunday night, you actually know a little bit about propitiation from a couple of weeks ago. But everyone else is like, you made that word up. I promise you, I did not. Right? We're going to do some systematic theology. We're going to do theology proper. We're going to talk about God the Father. We're going to talk about Christology, Jesus, pneumatology, the Holy Spirit, uh, ecclesiology, how the church has been organized, what does the New Testament say about the church, how many of y'all have had a class or someone taught about ecclesiology and the structure of the church? So now you've hopefully you're kind of seeing, like in the room, yeah, I don't even know what some of that stuff is. Hang on with us and I will show you, yeah? And then lastly, in that last topic, that yellow is kind of our hot button topics. So spiritual disciplines, apologetics, and evangelism. LGBTQ responses. Like, how do you think about mental health and depression? How do we respond to someone who um, comes out as gay or bisexual or whatever? How would you even formulate a response? We'll talk through that. Um, Financial stewardship and leadership development. If we have a commitment to equipping the next generation, having some financial stewardship and some actual money sense in the next generation for college students, young adults, young marrieds right now, that's gonna be critical. If they're gonna be used by God 15 years from now and they're still paying off $80,000 worth of debt because they made some poor choices when they were 23, let's fix that now before we ever get to that point, yeah? Our goal, whenever we see this huge list up here, me and Pastor Anthony, is that I would love to see all of these things take place as part of like a residency program. Somebody feels called to ministry, rock on. What you need to do is you need to come on Wednesday night. We're going to be talking through whatever the topic is. And then after we get done on that Wednesday night, that person who feels called into ministry, you're going to come hang out with Pastor Leewood and Pastor Anthony, and we might give you some homework, and you're going to work through it. Somebody says, hey, I feel like the Lord might be calling me to be a deacon. Rock on. Then you need to do fill in the blank. We have stuff recorded. We have a plan for how this stuff is going to be part, a big part of our goal to disciple the church. And just because you've been a believer for 50 years or you've been a deacon for a decade, I still think the call for discipleship is lifelong no matter where you find yourself on that spectrum. Yeah? Tracking with that? So any questions about this? I know it's a whole lot. You probably didn't even know this is what we were gonna talk about. Welcome, this is what we're doing. Yeah? All right, so my goal is to have 45 minutes of me up here yakking at y'all and then 15 minutes at the end for questions. So if you don't have it now, write it down. We'll get it at the end. All right, so we talked about hermeneutics. So let's talk about what that is. And then we will really be in the middle of what we're talking about tonight. Hermeneutics is all about interpretation. That's what hermeneutics is. Whenever we use the title for this series is reading the Bible or how to read the Bible for all it's worth, what we're talking about is, do you understand what you're reading? Do you understand why you read Genesis differently than you do Daniel, differently than you do 3 John? Are you tracking with me? So hermeneutics is all about uh, interpretation. It just comes from this Greek word hermeneuo, which just means to translate or to interpret. And so basically what we're talking about is, do you understand what you're reading? If we are in fact committed to having people being biblically devoted, if I'm going to say, hey man, you need to know this inside and out, and then you're like, I don't even know what's in that book. Well, maybe a good place to start is, well, let me teach you about the structure. Let me teach you about the organization. Yeah? Are you all tracking with that? So let me give you a little bit of a, a heads up. I have two goals for the next 15 weeks. Two goals. This is what I want from us. Number one, I want us to be able to understand the Bible's formation, organization, and structure. Formation. How did we get a bunch of random dudes out in the Middle East, the ancient Near East, how did we get from them to a bunch of white people in Missouri reading in English? How did that happen? How do we go from Hebrew being the Old Testament language to in the New Testament, Greek is now the language and the Romans are in charge. What happened there, right? I want us to kind of understand that flow, how we got the Bible. I want us to be able to understand how it's organized. Whenever you're reading uh, the Gospels and Jesus is talking about um, the Scriptures and he talks about the Law and the Prophets, he's appealing to a way that the Bible, the Old Testament in his day was organized And it's different than we organize it. And that's perfectly fine. But why and how did that happen? The structure. Where is this story going? What is happening with all of this stuff? Why are we actually making efforts to to actually go from Genesis through Revelation? Why do we have a Bible reading plan that takes you all the way through in a year? What's the point of that? Well, seeing this progressive way in which the story of God is unfolding and is structured. Tracking with that? So goal number one, I want you to understand what this thing is. However, more importantly, here's the big one. I want to equip us with lifelong methods and skills that will make us more effective. If our values are to be biblically devoted and to equip the next generation, and to get to a point where we are deliberate in our discipleship, if you don't know how to read the book in which that's all based upon, then we've missed it. I don't care how many classes you go through on the book of Romans, if you don't understand how it fits in with Paul's arguments when he's using the Old Testament, you're going to be lost. Are you tracking with me? So, I want us to understand the structure, the organization, and the formation of the Bible, and I want to give us these lifelong methods and skills that you can apply no matter what you're reading in the scriptures and be able to use that in your life to a more efficient way. Yeah? That's where we're heading. Word. All right. So where are we actually going? You will see this graph depicted there on your page. And so if you're sitting in here and you're wondering, okay, what exactly is it that we are going to cover this semester? Well, let me tell you, we're going to spend about four weeks after this one. So five weeks total, we're going to spend in basically giving you an outline and very, a very large picture of how to interpret the Bible in general. And then from there, we're going to spend the next nine weeks, 10 if you count uh, Thanksgiving, which we're not meeting. But we're going to spend the next nine weeks working through different genres of literature. How do we read narrative? Okay. Okay. Whenever you're reading Numbers, how many of y'all have intentionally read all the way through Numbers? Okay, of those of you that had your hands up, keep them up. How many of you enjoyed reading Numbers? Here's my promise to you. If you understand what Numbers is about and it is not about the counting that happens at the beginning of the book and the end of the book, it's so much better. It's so much better because it's a narrative. Well, if you come into this thinking, well, narrative is just kind of... Yeah, you're not going to enjoy it. Yeah, I would guarantee that that's probably going to happen. So, we're going to talk about narratives. We're going to talk about how to read wisdom literature and poetic literature and prophetic and proverbial literature. So, all the Old Testament stuff. We're going to spend two weeks on the Gospels, how to read the Gospels as narrative. But also, there's a lot of metaphorical language in there, there's a lot of hyperbole. It's okay, it's in there, I promise. What do we do with the parables? How do we interpret the parables? We're going to spend basically a whole week on that. We're going to talk about the um, epistles. How do we read Paul? How do we reread First and 2 Peter? Right? And then apocalyptic. That's the one that everyone's like, oh, Revelation. Yeah. But also Daniel. But also Zechariah. But also Haggai. But also Nahum. <laughs> and also Isaiah, there's all sorts of apocalyptic literature sprinkled in throughout the Old Testament. And so we're kind of getting that at the very end, but we're going to cover all that stuff. You tracking with me? Let me give us a quick rundown of what we're going to talk about in those first uh, five weeks. You'll see what we're doing here tonight, but when we get to next week with Bible formation, here are some things we're going to talk about. Who wrote the Bible? The central question we are going to answer next week is, did God write the Bible or did man? That's a pretty big question, right? And regardless of what your answer is, there's some pretty big ramifications for that. So the implications that we're going to have to work through, who wrote the Bible? We're going to deal with that. Um, We're going to deal with manuscript evidence. What is a manuscript? Why do I use the translation that I use? Partly it's because of manuscript evidence. We'll talk about that. We talk about canonicity. How many of y'all know what that word means? Canonicity. What does it mean? Somebody holler it out for me. It's a standard, right? How did something reach the standard to be put into the canon? Why do we have the Bible as we have it now? What books made it in? Why didn't other ones make it? What's going on there, right? Week three, we're going to talk about inerrancy and infallibility. We're going to talk about the biblical evidence that we have for that. We're going to talk about the transmission of texts. How did we get Jeremiah writing right before the exile? How do I have that in my Bible? And why is it in English, right? It went from guy to guy for literal millennia until it got to me. So how do we know we can trust the evidence that we have, the manuscripts? How did it get here? Was it just, you know, sent through the Xerox? And boom, I have it like, no, obviously not. So we're gonna talk about that. And we're gonna talk about translations. And that's before we even get to interpretation. We get to interpretation week uh, four. We're going to talk about why it's important to have right interpretation. We're going to talk about who is the one is res- that is responsible for interpretation. Is it you as the reader? Is it us as a church? There are several answers that we're going to talk about. And one of the other big things we're going to talk about there is the role of the Holy Spirit in interpretation. Because we're not doing this alone. We're not doing it alone collectively as a church. You're not doing it alone as a Christian. You're not doing it alone as a Christian because you have the Holy Spirit within you. Okay, then what does he do in this process of reading the Bible and interpreting it and applying it to our lives, yeah? And then the last thing on uh, our interpretive guidelines, we're gonna talk about the meta-narrative. How many of y'all have even heard that word, meta-narrative, before? What does meta-narrative mean, Charlie? the The big picture. What is the big picture of the Bible? What does Leviticus have to do with Hebrews? I'll go ahead and tell you a whole lot. What does Jeremiah have to do with Mark? Quite a bit. So what's the big picture? Where's all this going? That's kind of our structure that we're seeing that the Bible is unfolding in parts through history, through authors to bring us to this point of what we have today. Yeah. So we're going to talk about meta narrative. Um, We're also going to talk about probably the most important thing in that week is going to be the fact that when you read the Bible at any point in your life, One of the very first things you need to do is have the intention of applying what you read to your life that is a prerequisite to actually interpreting correctly if we come to the bible as just this repository of facts and trivia and that's all it's used for then you have missed the purpose of this literature this book is meditation literature you are meant to read this once and then go live some life and get beat up a little bit and then reflect on what this said about that situation and then go read it again and meditate on it and let it impact your life and go live some more life and get beat up some more and then read it again and go live life and go read it again. It's a lifelong process of understanding what it is that the scriptures have for us and the way that we apply it looks differently when you're 15 than when it does when you're 55 word. agree so we've got to do that right out the gate so any questions about where we are heading with this semester so if you were looking for Bible study content it's gonna take a couple weeks for us to get there we will get there we're gonna talk about narrative genre and then we're gonna work our way down the list but we're gonna get there yeah all right let us talk about the thing that we are here for for tonight if we're doing our introduction and we're doing our overview what's the most important thing that i want us to understand the most important thing that i want us to understand tonight is what is the foundations of biblical authority what are the foundations of biblical authority i am a presuppositionalist and what that means is that anytime i enter into a conversation with somebody about god does God exist? Does he not exist? Is God good? Is he not good? Right? Is reality real or do we live in a simulation? Okay? No matter what conversation I'm in, I am a presuppositionalist in that I believe before we get going at any point in the conversation, I take the Bible to be true, reliable, and accurate. Now, I have good arguments for why that is, and we'll talk about that in week three with the inerrancy and infallibility, but when it comes to the conversation, I just assume that the Bible is reliable, I've got good arguments for it, I've got good experience with that, but I take at a base level that it is authoritative and that it is something that is um, meant to be relied upon. So, how do I articulate that? I've got three main points, and these are going to be the three main points. If you write anything down, this is what I want you to do. Number one, scripture is God's personal communication to us. Scripture, God's word, the Bible, his speech, those are all very interchangeable terms that I am going to use interchangeably over the next semester. There are some very fine details that distinguish all of those phrases from one another. However, whenever I say that, you just need to hear the Bible, God's articulation of his will when he speaks his word. It all means the same thing. But here's the point. God's word is his personal communication to us. Thought experiment right now. Everybody, I want you to imagine that God himself, the Father, is sitting right over there. He's sitting there. He's been here this whole time. and He's just sitting there. And then he starts to speak to us. What might be some of your responses to that happening right now, as you can imagine it? What might you think? Listen. Listen. Why would you think that? Because he's got something. You can't. You you can't know that. What are you talking about? You can't know that. (laughs) Because you're a presuppositionalist. You can't bring that in here. If you're a presuppositionalist, you would say, "Hey, I need to. I need to listen." What might be something else you might think? Somebody else on this side of the class. Here's a question. How can we really know that that's God? Don't you think that'd be a good question? Okay, yeah, I mean, I see something that I'm unfamiliar with and he talks with some authority, but how do I know that's really God? Because how you respond to that question is gonna determine whether or not you're actually gonna listen, right? Right? What if it's just some guy who is, you know, got a crazy beard and looks like Gandalf with like long gray hair and just starts talking wild like, "Okay, maybe you are God, but you also kind of smell and I don't think God smells, right?" Here's the point. Whenever we think of that absurd kind of scenario, imagining that God is speaking to us, at some point you're going to have to reckon with whether or not that actually is God. In fact, This is actually how the biblical authors, the majority of them, interacted with God in some way. They heard him speak. They had visions or they had this impression from the Holy Spirit and they were convinced that God was speaking to them and being uh, inspired to write, being inspired to preach, being inspired to go and share that message if they found persuasive reasons to believe and then also listen and do what he says, I think we could as well. And I think the reason for that is because it's a personal communication. I have never heard God's audible voice in my life. Maybe some of you in this room have. I, I, I honestly would not think that that's something that's impossible. However, that's not the way that God generally communicates. So then, are we to conclude that God doesn't speak to us today? And we would go, well, of course not. Well, what do you mean? Like none of y'all have heard God speak, so how could we conclude that he still speaks today? Well, he already has. Whenever you think about the Bible and how the Bible goes from Genesis to Revelation, the primary thing that moves the story forward is what? God speaking. Whenever you think about the, the motions of history and you think, oh, well, you know, this is just the passage of time and cause or event A leads to cause A, which then leads to event B, which has another reaction and it's just a cause and effect. That's all it is. Well, actually, no. When you look at Scripture, the main thing that propels the narrative, propels the story, propels the history along is God speaking. Are you tracking with me? So if that's true, If we are then convinced that God is speaking, why would you ever argue with him? And again, I know this is kind of an absurd illustration, but we argue with this all the time. Well, that certainly can't be what he means, right? There's got to be something else going on, right? Well, yeah, there are times that there's all sorts of arguments for you know, bad interpretations to be weeded out and proper interpretations and applications to be made, but here's my point. That's also God's personal communication to us, and it should impact us as such. When God speaks, he speaks as the Lord. Are you tracking with me? If you're looking in the Old Testament, the word Adonai in Hebrew, it's just that capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Like it's called small caps, where the word is kind of small, but they're all capped letters. Like he speaks as the Lord, and that means authority. That means that he has control and that he is supreme, right? If that's true, when we hear him speak, then we should respond. So that's our first Foundation for biblical authority here is this it's God's personal speech to us. And here's our second main foundation that we're going to talk about. And there's actually three points to here. Scripture actually communicates God's Lordship, his attributes of being the Lord of creation. Let's just pause right here for a minute. On that point about God's speech propelling forward the narrative we can kind of see right there, like clearly, yeah, he's in charge because there was nothing other than him. And then at the end of chapter one, there's all sorts of stuff, right? Such as everything. Well, how does that happen? How does that happen? How did we get from nothing other than God and his triune being to all the things at the end of chapter one? How does that come about? Oh yeah, he's just God. His just very existence caused those things to happen. Right? It's not his very existence, it's he spoke. So here's the point. Imagine for me Genesis chapter 1 without reference to God speaking. How would that play out? What would be at the end of Genesis chapter 1? It'd be the same thing at the very beginning. You know, God in his triune state and that's it because he didn't speak anything else into being. That is his lordship. And it's being communicated in this personal communication to us that eventually works its way into our hands as scripture, yeah? So there are three main attributes that I really want us to hit on when we talk about God's lordship uh, being communicated through scripture. And it's this. Number one, it's God's control is communicated through scripture. His control. The... uh, the way that we can think of God's control, we can think of this as like a function of his omnipotence. Are you tracking with me? If he has all power and can do whatever he likes, he can kind of do whatever he wants with those things. Another word for that would be control. Other words that you see used to describe this is his sovereignty, right? That he has a will to enact and he has the power to make it come about. So when we talk about His omnipotence and His power and His control, we see that this is possibly problematic for us. Because in Genesis 1 we see great things happening when God speaks. We see great things happening in Genesis chapter 2 when God speaks. What about the next time we see God speak in Genesis chapter 3? What's going on there? He's confronting sin. So whenever God speaks, in his power, in his control, that power and that control can also be used for judgment and for blessing. Are you tracking with me on that? Like, that's a big deal. And that, frankly, should kind of scare us in the right kind of way. Because if he is all-powerful, then that means some things for us. Um, In fact, I want to read this from John Frame. John Frame is a theologian, wrote a multi-volume... work on the doctrine of God, the doctrine of man, the doctrine of God's word. And this is what he says here about God's power and his control. He said, God accomplishes all of his works. Remember that all of his works, he accomplishes all of his works by his powerful word, creation, providence, judgment, and grace. So everything that frankly we experience in some way is a result of God's word because he is the Lord, because he has control, because he exercises that control. Are you tracking with that? That's a big deal. So that's our first one. God's control is this first attribute I want us to talk about, and that's linked to his omnipotence, his power, his all power. Here's the second one, is God's authority. God's authority. God's authority is communicated through scripture because that communicates that he is the Lord. And when I say authority, I don't mean that he has like a segmented portion of of authority. That he has authority over this, but not that. We're talking about total authority. And again, another word that gets used to describe his authority and his control is sovereign. He is sovereign. He is is all-powerful. However, he is not just all-powerful. He is also omniscient. He knows all things. And if he knows all things and he is all-powerful, then frankly, a result of that is that he would decide that there should be a certain way for life to be lived. There should be a certain way that creation is to work. Are you tracking with that? and it's based upon His knowledge that is perfect, His wisdom, that application of knowledge, and it comes down to this point of His authority within that. So when God speaks, things happen. Genesis 1. However, things also happen with a purpose. Are you tracking with me on that? That if He is all-powerful and He has all wisdom, and that when He speaks in His authority, then that means that it demands something of us. When he speaks of his love for us, we as his creation have an obligation to treasure that love and the fact that he told us that he loves us. Are you tracking with me on that? That's blessing there. And the fact that he has told us means that we are to respond in that in certain ways. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 19, I want to pick that up real quick. I'll read it for us here in the ESV. This is what Moses writes for us in Genesis 2.19. This is after basically everything's been created. God says, hey, I'm looking around Adam, and it's not, good for, it's not good for this guy to be alone. He needs someone to be paired with him. It's going to be his indispensable other. Pick it up in chapter 2, verse 19. Well, actually, let's pick it up in 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Cool. Verse 19, Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Adam's over here. God's got his hand on his shoulder, as it were. let's get all these animals out here, rustle them up, parade them through. Butterfly, giraffe, platypus, cheetah, dog, whatever here's the question why why did God go through that exercise of having Adam name the animals Bobby hey son you saw what I just did with creation your turn you are the representation of God. You are the image of God. You have authority in some sense to have dominion over all of creation. Adam, get after it. He sends them out there. Start naming things, guy. Go nuts. Now, we know the story. Like, yeah, the animals don't fit because they were never meant to. So why do this whole process? Because this is Adam doing the same thing that God did. Because that's what we're supposed to do. So you already know kind of innately that there is a responsibility and authority that comes with exercising dominion over creation because that's how God has laid it out. Well, just go up one level about God and he has ultimate authority over all creation. Are you tracking with me? That's why this is so important. So when God speaks, it's authoritative. When Adam spoke over these animals, you don't say you know, well, God, yeah, let him name that, but he also had like an angel sitting on the side, like, nah, that's a bad name. Why we're not using that one, right? Like you don't get the sense of that. You get the sense that God said, no, that's its name. You said so. It's like whenever I get my daughters and they get some stuffed animal or really what they've been doing here recently is they rename Alexa. You all know y'all can do that with like Alexa, you know, echo or echo dots or whatever. And so they rename Alexa and who knows what the name's going to be for the next week. And they're going to forget, right? But I don't intervene. Like, hey, y'all, that's y'all's dominion. That's y'all's domain down there in the basement. Go nuts. But when God speaks with His Word, when it comes to us, it comes with authority. Are y'all tracking with that? Whatever God does, He does by His Word. And again, I want to read from John Frame when he talks about this authority. He says... God's words create obligations on our part to hear, believe, obey, meditate, rejoice, mourn. Whatever the words may demand of us, this is what we must do. Why? If God's over there, talking to us like, well, what does it matter? Well, it's because he has authority. Are you tracking with that? So number one, his control, his authority, but also, our last one, it also communicates his presence with us. His presence with us. So, uh, because God is the Lord, He lives with and among His creation. You see that in Genesis 1. He's hanging out with Adam and Eve. They seem to be taking walks on a regular basis there in the garden, talking about Lord knows what. I imagine that they were probably talking about how to live life, how to best do the thing that God told them to do. Then we get... Noah rolling around has this conversation with God and dude builds a boat when it's never rained before. Weird, right? And then you get all these patriarchs and these random cats out in the middle of the desert. They're hearing from God and then they start doing weird things like picking up and leaving their family and going to a place they'd never been before. Where am I going? I'll tell you when we get there. That's basically what Abram was told, right? With the rest of the patriarchs and then we eventually get to Moses, and we see the nation of Israel is there. The Hebrews are there. God had selected a certain group of people who would be invited in to encounter His presence. He lived among and with His creation. However, there is a major change once Jesus came on the scene. God no longer just lived among and with His creation, He actually lives in His creation, He indwells a body Jesus Christ is born divine 100% god 100% man total dude all there and he comes and lives perfectly and then whenever he leaves he says I'm going to send another helper implying that he was the first and we now are indwelt by the holy spirit so if god is omni or uh, omnipotent and we see that in his control, and we see his omniscience, and we see that in his authority, what's the last big omni-attribute of God? His omnipresence. And we see that working out here, that he enacts his presence among us through his word, which regenerates us and gives us new life, and we have the Holy Spirit indwelling within us, but also we have the word physically bound here with us. And whether implicitly or explicitly, wherever the word is, the Holy Spirit is as well, because the Holy Spirit is the active agent in inspiring these words and superintending this process so that we have what we need for life and godliness. Are you seeing that? So what is the foundation for biblical authority at this point? Well, it's God's personal communication to us and it shows us that he is the Lord. And it does so in these three ways. Tracking with that? Here is uh, one verse I want you to write down. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. And remember, there's clear distinctions and good reasons to distinguish between the speech of God and the Word of God as we have it in front of us and bound in a book. Um, But I also want to say that even Moses kind of plays with that line a little bit. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. This is what Moses writes. For what generation is there that has a God, excuse me, that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? Okay, cool. So we have God who is near us. No one else has that. What are the means by which Moses says that we have God with us? Read there in verse 8. And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? You see how Moses links those two things together? The very presence of God and his word, the rules, the statutes, the law, the Torah, right? The scriptures. He sets it before him and says, when this is among you, God is among you. It's not a one-for-one correlation, I grant that but you see the point that's being made, right? So, if God's control, authority, and his presence is being enacted through this, and we gotta do something with it. And here's our last point for the biblical foundations of its authority. If scripture is applicable to all of us in all situations, it is. If we were meant to just memorize cool trivia, then that would be something different, but that's not what we are called to do, right? Um, In fact, we're going to talk about that a lot more in week four with the role of the Holy Spirit and how he is there to uh, work out how to apply this in our lives. But it's critical for us. Um, I want to say something here. This is not a hot take. I don't know why this might be controversial, but if you hear it wrong, it will be. So listen to me when I say this. Number one, all scripture is equally inspired. Yes, you heard me clearly. All scripture... Whether it is Genesis 1 or whether it is Mark 2, it's equally inspired, right? However, hear me rightly, not all Scripture will have the same level of immediate application in your life in every situation. Are you tracking what the difference of that is? Hanging out in the middle of Leviticus 12 may not net you the encouragement that Philippians 2 might tracking with me. That's perfectly fine. That's perfectly fine because they serve different purposes. But in totality, all of scripture is meant to be applied to us in all situations. There's not an area of your life where you're like, well, God really just dropped the ball on that one. I don't know what to do. Well, maybe we didn't have the exact predicament laid out in scripture that you're dealing with, but we do have general wisdom, which speaks to how life is best lived. Yeah. And if that's true, then now we've got to do something with it. It's meant to be applied. We can't just suppose if God were sitting over here, I can either listen or not. Well, good luck with that. It's probably not going to go so hot for you. Yeah? It's meant to take root in our lives. So, those are the main points that I want us to see tonight. And in the last little bit that we have, I want to run through what is... The verse that you all, all know is coming, and we are going to reference multiple times, but we're going to do it anyway. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. If there is a hallmark verse about why the Bible is important, this is it. All Scripture is breathed out by God, and it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness, so that, there's a result, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work, What is right, what is wrong, how to get right, and how to stay right, right? Profitable for teaching, what is right. For reproof, what is not right. For correction, how to get right. Training in righteousness, how to stay right for the rest of your life. Now, does that mean that Ecclesiastes 6 is gonna meet your daily needs every single day, every single time you read it? Maybe not, and that's okay to admit. But whenever you are having the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, as Paul says in Colossians, I guarantee you you're not going to be lacking. I guarantee you. Are you tracking with that how important this is? That if this is God's inspired Word, and I believe it is, then that demands something of us. And here's the last verse that I want you to write down. This is Psalm 111, verse 2. I want to remind us of that quote that we had from... John Frame earlier when he talks about all the works of God. So God accomplishes all of his works by his powerful word, creation, providence, judgment, and grace. What Psalm 111 verse 2 says is that great are the works of the Lord in totality. All of them. They're studied by all who delight in them. If you want to know what the Lord has done for you, read his word. Study it. Know how to apply it to your life. Come to good conclusions based off of good observations, based off of general wisdom. That is what we are after over the next 14 weeks. Are you tracking with me? If we have this command to recognize the works of God and we know that that comes about through Him speaking, through His Word, then we ought to listen. Yeah? Word. So we have eight minutes for questions what you got, whether it's something you think we might cover later. And if we're going to do that, I'll just tell you, Hey, we'll come back week seven. You better be here to get your answer. Yeah. What questions you have good, bad or indifferent? I'll sit up here for eight minutes. I'm fine with that. I'll cut out the eight minutes of audio of just dead audio. No questions whatsoever about where we're heading over the next 14 weeks. a lot to absorb right now so what is it i do talk fast. hey we got it recorded you can listen to it on like half speed knock yourself out i got things to cover man we can't be just sitting around sitting on our hands we got things to do we got people to train we got things we need to know all right nobody in here is getting any younger am i right Yep. We will go directly next week. We will be diving into Bible formation and organization, right? We're going to talk about what goes in the Bible. It's canonicity. That's going to be one of the things we talk about. We're going to describe the Bible, who wrote it. We're going to determine whether it is a divine or a human work. We're going to talk about manuscripts. Yeah. How many of y'all are excited about manuscripts? Yeah, you are. Fantastic. You don't don't have to lie to me, though. We are in a church, okay? We are in a church. Uh, And we're going to talk about canonicity. We're going to talk about why we have certain books in the Bible and why there are some books that aren't in the Bible. Does anyone want to give me an example of a book that's not in the Bible that we have, but Catholics do have in theirs? Maccabees. Maccabees. My my favorite, and no one on audio is going to hear this, but I'm doing the air quotes. My favorite biblical character is Judas Maccabeus. You know what his nickname was? The Hammer, baby. Like, seriously, his nickname was The Hammer because he was a warlord. Like, he's the one who basically gained Jewish independence against the uh, Greeks and the Romans for a time. And then he got kind of crushed, but, you know, whatever. Um, go read First and Second Maccabees. That's beneficial. Jenny. Yes. Um, for the quotes that you're going to be putting on the screen, which uh, What's the translation am I using? Yeah, I generally use the ESV, the English Standard Version. That's the translation I use. However, I will gladly bounce around to whichever one gets across the sentiment that I need the best. Um, I'll give you a preview of week five whenever we start talking about, I guess it's week three, uh, about translations and such. You can trust your English translation. You can. I think the King James Version is a fine translation for 400 years ago. There was actually, I had a conversation with a college student not too long ago. Uh, There was a study. I need to look it up. I'll look it up for you. Uh, Well, this is where I was going. That Basically, I'll say it this way. Um, If I gave you uh, uh, an excerpt from Macbeth or Hamlet and said, I want you to read that up in front of everybody, you would probably stagger your way through it. That English is closer to Shakespeare than it is to what we speak today. And if that's true well, then let's just remove a barrier to antiquated language. It's a fine translation for its day, but that was 400 years ago, right? Um, and so that would be my main complaint about that. Plus, I do think there's some better manuscripts that we have found since then that are more reliable, and they date closer to when uh, the autographs were actually authored. Um, and so I would prefer a better translation translation or excuse me, a more modern translation that includes those newer manuscripts. The New King James basically takes out the these and thou's and a lot of the language we get hung up on, but it still uses the same manuscript evidence for that. I still think it's a fine translation. And if that's what you grew up with, hey, rock on. Um, But I would not give that to anybody today as their primary reader because they would struggle with it just because of the words that get used. Other questions? I'm telling you, you can ask whatever you like. Just because it's recorded, that don't scare me. Uh, we are going to have them on our website. We're going to have a podcast that's going to be on Spotify, and so we are going to be setting all that loose tomorrow. We've got a backlog of the audio from the sermons. We've been cutting just the sermon audio that we're going to have on the podcast as well. That way, you don't have to go to YouTube or Facebook. You can just stream it through Spotify. So whether, whether you use Apple or whether you are a, uh, a sane person and go with Android um, or Windows phone, whatever, um, you can access Spotify. It's the largest uh, podcasting platform, and so that's why we went that route. So, In the prophetic genre, are we going to study about the rapture in time? Nope. <laughs> because that would be apocalyptic literature but even then we're not necessarily going to dive into that topic what we're going to do whenever we get to the apocalyptic literature, we're going to see how similar it is to prophetic literature. But what we are also going to see is that it is meant to be applied for us in our life today. And so for folks that get really hung up on eschatology, the eschaton, what comes at the end times. um, I think we've kind of missed the reason why apocalyptic literature exists. We got two more minutes. See, look, man, we got plenty of questions. And I want y'all to, like, dead serious. I'm being completely serious here. You can ask whatever. I, if I don't know the answer, you know what I'm going to tell you? That's a great question. I don't know. And then I will get you an answer between now and next week. And if we need to have it out loud or if I just have a conversation with you, we can do that. Here, I, I am convinced of this. If we look statistically at the departure of youth from the church, right? They were involved in youth group. They grew up in a church and they go to college and they never come back. I think part of that is cultural. I think there's all sorts of reasons for that. But I think one of them is in a lot of churches, youth never had their why question answered. They asked a question and somebody who didn't feel equipped to give a complex answer that was correct, gave them a simple answer that was, well, you know, David and Goliath, let me get the flannel board out and let me just put that back up there. That's your answer, just trust God. And they're like, well, I don't think that actually answered my question. And so they ask another question and then they get a similar answer that equally does not answer their why. I'm convinced that if you have the answer to that why question that is insufficient, constantly go, hey, just read your Bible, you'll figure it out. Because if they then read their Bible and don't figure it out, what conclusion are they then going to draw? Oh, you know what? I just need to try harder. You don't care. Or they're going to conclude, actually, this Bible thing doesn't actually have the answers to my why questions, right? So if you've got a why question, this is the place to ask it. I am not afraid of a single question that anyone can ask. I may not know the answer. I probably won't know the answer for a lot of them. But what I can guarantee you is I'm not afraid of the question, much less the answer. Yeah? So that's why we do stuff like this. I got one more minute back there. I am 10. Time's up. We're done. Sorry. If you're about to ask it, you're done. Any other final questions? No, we're not going to pray. We're never doing that ever again. We're done with that. I started the thing with prayer. Take it or leave it, right? All right. If you do have questions and you want to ask it up here with me personally, I'll be up here at the front by all means. Uh, Let's pray together. Father, we thank you uh, for the fact that you have in fact provided answers to our questions. Uh, Definitely not all of them, but enough to satisfy our minds and ravage our hearts. Um, And so Father, I pray that as we spend the next 13 weeks, 14 weeks looking at um, how to interpret your word, I pray that you would give us a, a special measure of comprehension and endurance to be able to understand what it is that you have written for our instruction and for our benefit. Father, I thank you for the untold number of nameless copyists and translators um, who have faithfully preserved your word under your guidance and even authored under the inspiration of your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that we would be thankful for the fact that you have spoken to us and that you do speak even today to us directly through your word. Father, I'm thankful for that. I pray that we would go out having been enriched by tonight. I pray that we will be encouraged and I pray that you will have been honored by what we've heard tonight and what we do with what we heard tonight. And we ask all this in your son's name. Amen. Amen.